Hello friends, hello people, welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And this project attempts to change lives by encouraging people to make the study of the Bible part of their daily life. And we do that by making the commitment to work together through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, at whatever pace you like and for however long it takes our God grants us. You have a choice to make if you're here for the first time. You can go right back to the beginning, episode one, season one, and just then begin from the very beginning where we do an overview first and then launch off. Or you can just carry on and pick up today from season three. The podcast is uploaded five days a week. So if you're here for the very first time, then why not make the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life as well by clicking on that subscribe button wherever you're getting this podcast from. But with that said, we'll drop back into the main text and pick up where we left off yesterday, hang around at the end, and I'll update you of a few ways with which you can connect with this ministry and the other free teaching resources I make available. Bye-bye for now. Okay, friends, we're picking up this conversation where we left off yesterday in Matthew chapter 16 at verse 21. And if I'm not giving the story away a little bit, I've entitled today's talk, The Place of Suffering. But by way of introduction to today's talk, I'd just like to ask a question, which is, would you, as an individual, like to be like Christ? Now, if you're someone who describes themselves as a Christian or a disciple, then the answer to that, I'm sure, would be a very firm, positive yes. But the big question that really arises out of that is how do we get to be like Christ and what is it like to be like Christ? Well, fortunately for us, there is one occasion in his ministry where Jesus talks about that thing exactly by telling us what he is about to do And then he applies that to the disciples and says that if you do what I do, this is what life's going to be like. If you become my disciple, in other words, if you choose to follow me, this is how it's going to work out for you and what life is very likely to be like. So that can potentially answer a whole load of questions for us for what it will be for us living the life of a Christian. In other words, if we choose to be a disciple in the sense we try and be like Christ in our everyday life. So with that in mind, turn with me to Matthew chapter 16 and we're going to begin reading at verse 21. And we're just going to read three verses and I'll do what we'll always do, which is read the text first and then we'll come back and expositionally work through it verse by verse and then try and figure out together what it all means. So 16.21 begins by telling us, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from me, Lord, but this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are offence to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, on the surface, in one sense, this passage is rather straightforward. It begins with Jesus talking about himself 
and telling us that he very clearly tells them what's going to happen to him. But after that, we will see tomorrow, he will turn to his disciples and he will teach them about how they might apply that in their lives and what they might expect will arise out of that. But we look at that tomorrow. But today, we're just considering this passage, the opening of this passage, unlike the previous section that we've just looked at over the last couple of days, it has some really deeply profound things to tell us. But often, also like the passages we've looked at over the last few days, these are the passages that are among some of the most misunderstood and misapplied passages in the New Testament, misunderstood and misapplied teachings of the Word of Jesus. So I want us to walk particularly carefully through this passage and see exactly what Jesus is saying first about himself and what that means for anyone else who chooses to follow him. So let's begin with what it says about him in verse 21. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised on the third day. So verse 21 opens with this little phrase, from that time. Now we need to pause immediately because this little phrase is important. It's only the second time the little phrase from that time appears in the Gospel of Matthew. It first appeared in Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 and the second time it appears right here. And this little phrase announces a, a new departure or a new phase in the ministry of Christ. In chapter 4, it announced that he was going to start his public ministry, and here it marks the beginning of a more private, personal ministry face-to-face with his disciples. From this time, in other words, from this point forward, Jesus is going to get very specific about what's happening, what they need to know, where he's going, and what's going to happen when he gets there. And he begins by telling them, yes, he's going to Jerusalem, but he says he's going to suffer at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the scribes. Now, we heard that phrase used before a couple of days ago. And let me remind you that in those days, these three groups of people were very significant as this is an actual description of the makeup of the members of the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the ruling body in Israel, and it was made up of these three groups of people, the very ones he's named here. It was made up of the elders, who were seen as the older aristocratic men in Israel, but it was also made up of the chief priests, those who functioned in the temple and administered the Old Testament laws and sacrifices. And it was also made up of the scribes. They are the ones who copied the law and to a large degree that group was made up of the Pharisees. Now as we continue together studying through the Gospel of Matthew we're going to bump into these various groups uh, individually and together many times. And we're going to see again and again, we're going to hear about the Sanhedrin meeting to determine what they consider Jesus is doing and how they should react or deal with him. But at this point, he simply pre-announces that he's going to Jerusalem and that when he gets there, this group of people, in other words, the Sanhedrin, is going to cause him much grief. He actually says he's going to suffer many things when he gets there. 
Now this word suffer that he uses is a critical word. In understanding what Jesus is telling his disciples, we need to know that the word Jesus used here has a wide range of meanings, which is why it's translated suffer many things in some modern translations of the Bible, because that's what it says, and that's indeed what will happen to him. He's going to be humiliated. He's going to be flogged. He's going to be discouraged. He's going to be persecuted. And of course, ultimately, he's going to be crucified. But what he's saying simply at this point is that these elders, these chief priests and these scribes, in other words, this learned group called the Sanhedrin, are going to have cause to have him persecuted and killed. You know, he doesn't mention the actual crucifixion at this point, but he does talk about being killed and also very clearly mentions that in three days later he's going to be raised from the dead. Now you've heard me say before as we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew together that Matthew is always very focused on talking about the fact that Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament, the Son of God and the King of the Jews, the one who is predicted as the Messiah and the one who would die for his people. He knew, Matthew, that he was writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, so to speak. Now this view of the Messiah, including the Messiah who would be seen to die for his people, is described throughout the Old Testament, a very simple passage that makes that in very simple, you would say unmistakable terms, is Daniel chapter 9. And Isaiah 53 also describes it, but even in more detail. So the Old Testament in many places is very clear that the Messiah who comes would die. However, The Jews of Jesus' day, they focused on the other things that the Old Testament said about the Messiah, namely that he would come and he would set up a kingdom. So that at the time Jesus was born and he arrived and began his public ministry, what was properly believed amongst the ordinary people in Israel, that this Messiah, when he come, would actually set up a kingdom. And by and large, the people, the Jewish people of that day, ignored those passages that said the Messiah would die. It's very very easy for us psychologically to turn away from truths when they are uncomfortable truths. Nevertheless, this is the situation Jesus arrives into and he says very early in his ministry that he would die. Now, initially he said it in veiled terms. You remember earlier he talked about destroying this temple and in three days it being raised up again. That was early on when he began his ministry. But it's getting more and more explicit and an example of that is here. The disciples clearly didn't get it at all first time round when Jesus was doing his general teaching. So now at this time, Jesus starts for the first time to speak very plainly to them and he says, in very straightforward language, look, I'm going to Jerusalem, and when I get there, I'm going to suffer, and I'm going to be executed. But when he said that, that's clearly not what Peter was thinking was going to happen at that time. I want you to remember that just before this, we looked at the the preliminary of this conversation when Jesus asked Peter, who do you think that I am? And in the previous verses, Peter had just answered and said, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So Peter clearly recognised that Jesus was the Messiah, but he must still have been thinking in a great part that Jesus was, is the one that he knew who was said to come and sort of set up a political kingdom. And here Jesus is now saying, okay, Peter, 
you've got the point so far that I am the Messiah, but now I need to give you some additional revelation, some fresh insight. And the fact is, I am going to Jerusalem. When I get there, I'm going to be persecuted and killed. Now that would seem to be foreign to anything Peter, and for that matter the apostles, or for that matter virtually everybody else at that time was thinking. Peter thought, no, that's not what's going to happen. Wait a minute, remember, you're the Messiah, you're the one who sets up the kingdom. So notice what happens next. Verse 22 tells us, then Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him, saying, far be it from me, Lord, that this should happen to you. You see, Peter clearly did not get it, and he actually admonishes the Lord. He rebukes him. He rebukes him for even thinking such a thought. Well, let's see how Jesus responds to that rebuke of Peter. The plot thickens. Jesus' reply, he turns and says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offence to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, the word rebuke here doesn't mean that Jesus says this in a harsh tone. It just means he corrects him. However, he means every word he says here. So you need to understand it's not a put down of Peter. He's just firmly correcting Peter's faulty thinking. And he's pointing out that Peter's idea that he should not die is a thought that has been inspired by Satan himself. It's not that he's saying Peter is Satan. He's using a dramatic technique to say, in response to the words that have come out of Peter's mouth, that what he has said is not of God and it's a lie. It's from Satan himself. As a matter of fact, he says, if you look at verse 23, you are an offence to me. Now, literally, the Greek word translated offence literally means a stumbling block. You are someone who would try and trip me up on this issue. And because of that, you are clearly not mindful of the things of God. You don't understand what God has said in his word. Rather, you are just mindful and thinking about the things of men. I really believe there's a lot of insight we can gain by studying this single verse. In the sense of, it tells us how Satan gets his ideas into the world. And the way he does that is through people, through ordinary people like you and me by a man and woman who he implants these false ideas in their minds, ideas specifically dealt with here, the big one, the main one, the most important one, being that Jesus Christ isn't going to die. Jesus has just said to Peter, I am going to die, and then I'm going to be raised from the dead. And Peter's immediate response to that is a gut reaction to say, no, no, that's not what's going to happen. And then Jesus says to Peter, in no uncertain terms, Satan, get behind me. This tells me that any idea that Christ did not die and did not come from the dead is inspired from the pit of hell. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Any idea that says that Jesus is just a good man and that he did not need To die for the sins of fallen humanity is an idea inspired by the devil. If you think for one second that Jesus did not need to die or come back from the dead, then the question you need to ask yourself is where did you get such an idea? You didn't get it from the Bible. You didn't get it from God. What this passage tells me is you got that idea from the teachings of men and they got that idea from Satan himself. So Jesus rebukes Peter 
in the strongest possible terms, saying you've not been enlightened by God, telling him he's in fact been educated by Satan and is being used as a tool of the enemy. And that is the case when we speak on these matters in that way, whether him then or us today. What strikes me as really fascinating about this passage is, remember just a few moments earlier, Peter had said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That was in verse 16. And in verse 17, Jesus calls Peter blessed because he knows that. And now a few verses later, he's effectively calling him Satan, or he's saying he's been inspired by Satan. Isn't that fascinating? Let's just pause on this for a second. These verses are telling us very specifically what Jesus is saying about is going to happen to him, what needed to happen to him, and this was Peter's response to it. But in terms of us learning what we might gain in knowledge that what might happen to this out of this, then I think we can see if we look, it tells us that clearly what happened to him as Messiah, as Christ, in response to his public ministry, was that he was caused to suffer and to suffer many things and then actually to die and of course be raised from the dead. So this, I believe, is the core message of what Jesus is telling us about what we might expect if we choose to be a disciple and live a Christ-like life. Jesus says, I've got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer there. I'm actually going to die to pay for your sins. And if you trust in me and if you understand that I paid for your sins and that I needed to pay for your sins and then that I rose from the dead and you simply trust in those facts, then you will get to heaven. Then you will be given the gift of eternal life. And remember, it is all a free gift. The Bible says this very clearly in Romans 6.23 where it tells us the gift of God is eternal life. So before we go any further, you, I, we all need to establish the fact that we understand that Jesus died, but that he died for our sins and that he rose from the dead as a victory over those sins. And it is that we need to trust in him as Savior and Messiah and recognize that that is not only what he came to do, that that is what he needed to do. And he needed to do it for us personally, not just for the generic sins of the world, but for the times and the situations where we too fall short of the perfect life of God. In this passage, Jesus puts the emphasis on the fact that he's going in this life to suffer and to suffer many things before any of this about the crucifixion and coming back from the dead happens. But before we leave this passage today, I'd just like to take one moment to look at one very interpretation of this phrase, get behind me Satan, because I think it's really helpful. Oregon suggested that Jesus was reminding Peter, Peter, your place is behind me, not in front of me. It's your place, it's our place to follow him, to go the way that he chooses for us to go, not to try and lead if we interpret the phrase in that way, then of course that sting of personal rebuke is removed from it. Because notice he does not banish Peter from Christ's presence, rather it is Satan he rebukes. Rather it is Satan he tells to go to his proper place, leaving Peter to remain as a follower walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Be gone Satan or get behind me Satan, simply makes the point 
that Jesus commands Satan to go, while his command to Peter remains to follow him, to become a follower again if he's fallen short. Satan is banished from the very presence of Christ, whilst at the same time the disciple is recalled to be Christ's follower again. And it's worth just noting that the one thing that Satan could never ever be is a follower of Christ. His diabolical pride means that he could never submit to do that. That's why he's Satan. That's why he fell. On the other hand, Peter, just like us, we might be mistaken from time to time. We might fail. We might fall. We might sin. But for him and for us, there's always a way back, another chance to become a follower again. The basic difference between Peter and any disciple of Christ and Satan is precisely the fact that Satan would never, ever choose to get behind. But so long as Peter, or for that matter, any of us today, are prepared to stop and repent and change our direction of travel and step back and try to follow him, even after we've fallen, no matter how many times we've fallen, there is still the sure and certain hope of glory, both in the here and now, and victory over suffering, and victory in the hereafter. So that's the opening part of this passage that deals with what Jesus says is going to happen to him. But at this point, he turns to the disciples and he speaks to them and he says what it might mean for them and for us. But we look at that together next time when we come back tomorrow. Bye-bye for now. Okay, friends, that is it for today. I do hope you find that helpful, and I'm looking forward to seeing what we can gain out of this and what it means for us in our own personal discipleship journey. Now, wherever you're getting your podcast from, you have the opportunity to subscribe, and that way you'll make sure you'll never miss another single episode. Now, within the episode notes page of this podcast, there is always placed a transcript of roughly what I've said. All my teaching is always available free and fully in the public domain, copyright free for you to use in whatever way you want. But if you're not seeing active links within the episode notes of where you get your podcast from, then just a reminder that it's hosted on the bibleproject.buzzsprite.com. That's the place where it's kept and that's the place where you'll find all the ways in which you can connect to this teaching and this ministry and other courses that I make available. It's also the place where you can, if you feel prompted, can choose to support this ministry for a very small amount a month. It would only take a tiny, tiny percentage of the people listening to it to make the minimum donation to cover the costs of this podcast and to make sure it remains free at the point of receipt for everybody listening to it. So if you share, in the vision and the ethos of this ministry, perhaps you can consider partnering with me in that way. But having said all that, I just trust that the Lord is blessing you through it and that you're refining and having new truths revealed to you day by day as we study through the Bible what we as Christians believe is the Word of God together. And with that all said, I'll say bye-bye for now. And I'll see you back here again tomorrow on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.